Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon from the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey. And freelance writer and critic for Rotten Nehru. Hello, my boys. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what's happening about town, about the Melbourne International Film Festival, as we do every year, which starts tomorrow night, things that are happening at the Ritz, and just catching up on some movie news, including the big streaming release that was announced this morning, and just what we've been seeing. We want to talk a little bit about the things that are happening on streaming and in person. The Allianz Francais French Film Festival, which was supposed to include last night, has been extended to six more days, so runs through to the 10th. I tried to go the other day and tickets are sold out, so it is actually a good idea to book online. The Cinema International Film Wow, that's amazing. I ordered to see the translators and now I have an extra opportunity because it's extended, but I just rocked up and like, oh! couldn't see this so we saw baby teeth instead which we'll get to in a little bit it's nice for the festival that they've been able to extend it to be fair selling out doesn't mean quite what it used to with the small cinemas at palace combined with the social distancing regulations in place at the moment but the first time the french film festival tried to run they had to cancel it due to low attendance even before that's the thing so even then even with the the social distancing guidelines if there are people willing to go out and see movies that's a good thing well, definitely, as we'll talk about later in the show, uh, there are a lot of movies on, and from what I can see, people are going out. People are. And it's strange with the French Film Festival, the Italian Film Festival, a lot of the Palace ones, there are individual sessions that just seem to catch on in the community that always go, that are very dedicated. So those will just go. And if, the you're translators... in, if you're in Sydney, that's okay. But if you're in Melbourne, stay home. Stay yeah. Home. Oh, you have no choice if you live in Melbourne. Yeah, crazy, terrible, 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew and more. We're going to be talking a little bit about... Myth obviously made the right decision to go online well in advance. And I know they're streaming to everyone as of tomorrow and they have partnerships where you can get cheese and wine delivered to your door. Very I love that. that that's, that's such a nice, warm way of keeping the Myth partnerships going and supporting their partner businesses. But also there's just a, such a Myth thing to do, cheese and wine. Oh, yeah. It, it's such a Myth move. It's like, oh, yeah, you're a Melbourne artsy wanker. It's your cheese and your wine. Look I love cheese and wine and wanky art films, so <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm allowed to do this yeah. funny voice. Yeah, we, we, we are in on the joke. We are the, we are the patrons. Yeah, we, we are the joke for us. Let's face it, we are the one. <laughs> we are the joke. We are the joke. This is my first time in six years not at Myth. Like, if it was normally me, I'd be at a long line around the kino, no, eating no, your actually, wine, uh, as eating your cheese, drinking your wine. As per tradition, we usually do our Myth Film Fight Club episode from Melbourne live at this time. We do. Yeah. So it's a shame. Miss it. We've had some of our Terrence Malick experiences at Myth. We so did. We, yeah, the, we're we're, we're talking about the Terrence Malick film we watched. What was it called? The End of the Earth one? Beginning the of the Voyage Earth? Of time. Voyage the of Time. Voyage of Time. Voyage through time. I'm watching Voyager at the moment and it's much better. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, let, let's recreate everything about myth here, except the long lines. We don't want packed lines of people at the moment, but the cheese and wine and... Uh, and, uh, like, you know... Say that with great love, we do miss. Finish a movie at Acme, just jump over to the forum, and then there's the lounge. Well, here it's like, oh, I finished watching a movie on my laptop, and I just walked across the room to my TV. <laughs> That's the, the new version. Yeah. I got some nice Riesling here. It's, it's, it's a very myth thing. Oh, myth. Oh, well, we'll be back next year. We look forward to, to seeing you. Uh, also screening online is the Cinema International Science Film Festival, the Fantastic Film Festival Australia at 8 p.m. tonight. So literally right after we finish doing a Q&A with the director of Loz. So you can shoot into that. And Static Vision are continuing in their 19th week of screenings. Incredible stuff on Friday night. And Kino Sydney, Sydney Film Collective, 
are doing Kino 152 on Monday night. Um, I'll have a film screening with a couple of others. So yeah, it'll be fun. Tune into that. It's a short Ooh. little comedy about how to be COVID safe. Sydney, like, nice. Sydney, Sydney filmmaker Glenn Falkenstein. That's right. He's, he's way more productive than I've been. To be honest, I've I've been laboring over a script and maybe you know, maybe that old cliche changing prose and now it'll be like yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, it'll be Sydney like Sydney bomb Chris Glenn. Evans Sydney <laughs> filmmaker Glenn Parkinson. We, we can mix up yeah. the intros. Yeah, <laughs> we can. Anyway. Make- and yeah, I've been working on some sketches, so I might become Sydney's scriptwriter soon as well. So let's see, fingers crossed. It could be, it could be. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, so we that- our intros. The film fight club has changed dramatically. What do we yep. do? We emerged from lockdown with different personalities, and this is obviously not lockdown. We emerged from code with dramatically different personalities. That's okay. It's something new. Something else new is that all this morning, major news on the streaming and Disney front, Milan. We'll be going to Disney Plus, and you can rent it for what twenty nine ninety nine. Twenty nine ninety nine. It was first Artemis Fowl, but this is the without yeah question, film to drop on streaming. Well, it's interesting because Artemis Fowl was a movie that they knew was going to bomb. They were never going to make any money from Artemis Fowl. It was a film that, as you can see from the really poor reception and the fact that it had been delayed multiple times before COVID hit, they always knew that movie was going to lose the money. So they may as well just put it on Disney Plus. Hamilton might have been a nice theatrical release grosser for them, but it's it all, so good. Go watch it. But it's also like the perfect pull for Disney Plus. It makes sense on Disney Plus. Mulan, on the other hand, is significant because they've thrown their hands up in the air. Essentially, that this film is a write-off. That's what they're doing right now. Like they're trying to make back a fraction of the money they otherwise would have. I mean, the fact is, even when it comes to it, there'll be a time, particularly in the China market, when it can play in person to the extent they originally anticipated, mm-hmm. and it will play and it will recoup a lot of its money but it's just it can't go out it's been in the cultural so heavy in the cultural zeitgeist for a little bit that it just needs maybe to it'll feel like old news it otherwise we'll go it'll be popped by its past date similar yeah. feeling with tenet right yeah august 24th now i understand that rationale you're talking about glenn but i question the wisdom of releasing the line in this way as opposed to just delaying it a year like i'm saying it's a write-off not that many people are not nearly enough to justify the price nobody's tag gonna film. pay 30 bucks for a movie a few people will but a few people will not many as you say it's just going to be a fraction once it leaks on torrents everyone's gonna pirate the shit out of it that's right. It's going to this movie is going to be really highly pirated because there'll be a high quality video available on torrents before the film makes it to theaters. I agree. There'll be a lot of torrenting for this one. And also I think people who have Disney Plus probably also have Netflix and Hulu or Stan something like that depending on where you are in the world. It's a hard sell to pay $29 for one movie in a streaming platform. Yeah, well I pay 29 bucks to have Amazon, Stan and Netflix every yeah. month. I'm not paying 29 bucks for one movie. Because, yeah, especially if it's Mulan. Like, how many people are actually that excited about Mulan? I'm very but That's the thing. You're already paying for Disney+. Plus. Why would you pay on top of your current streaming for you, just one movie? As the thing one? is, I mean, maybe there are people who have this kind of hype for Mulan. I'm not that excited about Tenet. But if you said 30 bucks for Tenet, let's all go to Glenn's place and let, or ideally Will Wong's place and watch it on his massive 4K screen. Sure. We all chip in. That'll be worth yeah. it, right? We, we, we'd big snacks. Like, hey, you got the big TV. Here's yeah. some bourbon. Yeah, but that's like five or six of us watching yeah, the movie for $30. Nobody's going to do it on like an individual basis. Yeah, because otherwise the economics just don't work out. And, and not everyone can go to everyone's house at the moment. 
But yeah, I figure it feels comfortable doing so. That's right. So it must be that they think they've spent all the marketing. They don't want to do that again. Yeah. You know, like to not release this movie a year from now. The other rationale. Is it just that? I think it was getting also a lot of flack in the Mulan uh, fandom circles of some of the changes and departures from the original. So uh, I think there was a bit oh, of that. Oh, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Some people are upset because the movie is heavily tailored around the tastes and the cultural norms of contemporary China. So it's not that faithful to the original film for that reason. Yeah, it's less Disney Mulan. And it's it's Disney. more like, how can we make how as much money out of China? Yeah, coronavirus happened. Whoops. The other clear rationale is you mentioned Hamilton a few minutes ago. I was flipping which streaming services I'm going to get this month. I got Disney Plus because there's no way in hell I'm not watching Hamilton multiple times. And then I kept it because a few days ago, there's a new Muppet series coming out every week. So I'm going to keep Disney Plus. And this is going to be a massive incentive for people to get and retain it. They well, need not- that to fight against a lot of other major streaming platforms, including Binge, HBO well, Max. Well, you need to have Disney Plus to do this, but this isn't included on Disney Plus. This is you subscribe to Disney yeah. Plus and then you pay and then you pay. on top of your monthly subscription fee for the privilege of unlocking Mulan. As you say... That's what about- I said. I said it would be still reasonable if it was just part of your subscription, if you just got this as a new title. Hmm. But, but no, as Glenn is saying, extra, extra price. there's tons of stuff on Disney Plus already. Like if you have this service, if you're thinking, eh, I can wait six months, like who doesn't have six months to just wait for new stuff? Like, yeah, there's a content shortage, but I think there's still too much stuff out there when you consider that people don't exclusively have Disney Plus usually, they have other streaming services for anyone to watch it all. That's why I think it's going to be such a hard sell to pay $30 for one more movie. Yeah, I'm enjoying the original TV series and movies. And no one has fought harder to make the window between theatrical release and video release shorter than Disney. They've been strong arming theaters for three month windows instead of six months as it once was. And they've gradually moved it down to that. So I feel like they should have a taste of their own medicine and God works free for everyone in- on Disney Plus yeah. in three months. God works in mysterious ways, you were saying, Virat? Yeah. The Walt Disney right. Corporation. <laughs> they, they it's, now. it's also like, oh, you made this movie for China? But no, but that's the thing, right? It I mean, coronavirus. Let's also remember that China isn't as many active cases in China as well. A lot of the other world. No, that, but China. Very different there now to. It's true, um, but China are also being very, you know, more proactive than anyone else in trying to stop a second outbreak. Like right when it looked like theaters were reopening in China, suddenly there's new restrictions. I can't help yeah, but think that there's an element of racism in this. I think Disney cannot risk the backlash of a movie that was explicitly made to basically please the Chinese audiences given in the current political climate, which is very... Angry. Oh, yeah, there is. A, you're, you're, I think you're actually kind of right. I think um, now that Trump is really stirring up anti-China... Feeling, yeah, the, the China virus suddenly, kind, like, of, kind, of, the, kind of line. You're, you're right. That's actually a good call, and it's making this decision suddenly fall into place for me. It's making yeah. sense in a way it didn't five minutes because ago. The movie, if, if the movie was made specifically for Chinese audiences to lap it up, yeah. this and, seems and, to be the wrong time to release it in theaters. Yeah, it would be like, oh, anti-American Disney. Disney is going out of the way to appease yeah. the, our Chinese masters, it's blah, 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 blah. blah. You can see all the propaganda headlines now, yeah, right? It's the optics. That's going to cause more damage to yeah. the bottom line. Than there was always going to be hit. 
That's right. There was always going to be backlash from people saying this isn't like my childhood nostalgia, make a man out of you yeah, thing. I'm, I'm curious to see to what extent Mulan does in fact diverge mm. from the 90s film and from the original There's story. some reports on it already now and some of the, I think the big Hollywood reporter story about the making of the film delves into some of these differences and changes. But yeah, I think you're right, right. That story would warp into something else and Disney probably right now really don't need that. <laughs> I mean, usually I love my conspiracy theories, but I think on this one, I might be closer to the truth. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, unfortunately, the Milan premiere was scheduled, and then two days before it was, this COVID thing looks pretty serious. We're probably going to have to shut it down. So you missed mm. it. But it'll happen whether it's in our living rooms or, or you know, it's going to happen in our living rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's going to be popcorn regardless. It's going to be fine. Yeah, oh, I my God. Say, I, Sorry. I can tell you, Palace Cinema's popcorn is still amazing. Yeah, I miss popcorn. I miss the stale, non-crunchy, cold cinema popcorn. That's uh, dude. Uh, Hayden Orpheum and Palace do not do stale popcorn. It's the other chains that often sure. well, It's oh. your your Hoyts and your events popcorn is just way too salty, way too buttery. Yeah, way too buttery. Just bad. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, Orpheum know what they're doing. They do. Also, uh, Roseville Cinemas. That popcorn is yes, amazing. Yes, I grew up there. I saw every Harry Potter film there. We should do a definitive popcorn ranking. Yeah, we could do next week. So it's no movies. Cinemas. It's like, but you can buy popcorn. So we've done a popcorn <laughs> tour of this in yes. Sydney. Yeah. Um, actually, Golden Age has like non-salted popcorn. It's not as tasty, wow. but it's nice, and it, you can eat more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, guys, we go, we go to a lot of movies, and we miss the cinemas. <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> Um, speaking of um, going to not going to cinemas, yes, the Melbourne International Film Festival is on. They've got a very impressive lineup. We are missing it this year, but one film has a, a myth statement that was made the other day being pulled from the program. So I'll read it now. It's called The Trouble with Being Born. Yes, the MIFF statement, it's on their Facebook page. Um, it comments that the safety well-being of the MIFF community, the broad Australian public, is of paramount concern. They made a decision to withdraw the film. While the Australian Classification Board had cleared the film to screen in this year's festival, after receiving specific expert advice in relation to both the content within the film and the online context of MIFF 68 and a half. Great title, by the way. We have made the decision to remove the film. Anyone who's pre-hushed ticket will be refunded. Now, uh, before we get into this, I just want to say that we, we had a similar discussion a couple of weeks ago about mukbang. And, and a similar discussion about Gone with the Wind. To be very clear, MIFF have taken this film off the roster before the festival. So it's a very different situation. MIFF, any festival retain every right to not screen a film at any point. Well, the timeline of how this happened is interesting. Do you guys, did you guys hear about basically how it came to be that the film ended up being pulled? Yeah, because I think uh, some psychologists and no, okay, the cops what, saw it. Uh, no, here's, here's what happened. Yeah. Jono did an interview with the director, Sandra Walner. Yes. Um, Jono for The Age. He then was told by his editors, he, because of the sensitive subject matter, he should seek out some expert opinion. So he- to balance the story out. Right. Yeah. So he reached out to five forensic psychologists. Three replied to him. Two agreed to watch the film. One stopped replying to the emails. One watched it and then said in the quote that he, they provided that the film normalizes sexualization of children. The guy then said, hey, Miff, uh, we got this big quote. You guys should be warned that this is what's coming. And then Miff said, okay, we've got a problem and decided to pull the film. Yeah, so but, because yeah. No, nothing, the film was cleared. I mean, let's make it clear. The film was cleared, the classification. Yeah. The, you know, it, it's gone through several rounds of screening. 
Yeah, look, made I, it into myth. I'm keen to hear Virat's perspective on it because he's actually seen the film, um, unlike yeah. us. But uh, my take on it without having seen it was this decision was made based on one person's opinion. You know, this, it, this is probably a film in which opinions, even among experts, will vary. On the Twitter thread where the journal was explaining how this came to pass, somebody else chimed in who was from a child protection organization who saw the film and thought that it was acceptable. And the fact that the classification board cleared it when they tend to be very, very sensitive yes. to matters of exploitation of children sexually tells me that the film probably is not something that should be banned. But again, I haven't seen the film. Farat can tell us a bit more about some of the actual context. Yes, okay. So the, the film uh, is called The Trouble With Being Born. Basically, it's more a film about dealing with trauma, grief, and loneliness. A father loses a very young daughter a long time ago, and then he builds an android child who resembles his daughter. Sounds like as, AI so far. As, yeah, as a companionship. Sounds it's, like Pinocchio. It's closer to her, is, actually. Yeah. If you think about the concept and someone seeking companionship, through artificial intelligence, it's basically riffing off the ideas from her than anything else. It's the, it's the AI Pinocchio riff. As and well, has though, Pygmalion right? elements too, let's face and, it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Pygmalion elements too. And, and the thing is, at every point in the film, it's made very clear this is an android presence. It's not a human child. The distinction between human and machine are made distinctive and very clear. That's not, uh, and any the relationship, which could be disturbing, yes, is dealt very sensitively and it's more in the context and lens of grief, loss, and trauma. It is not normalizing sexual interest in the way that the psychologist would have put it. But I can see the argument that parts of the film may be repurposed online to promote such uh, viewpoints. But, but how many then, people are going then, to... Okay. But even then, that's the problem. Should we be censoring material or should we not be screening material because certain bits of it might be repurposed and used in certain ways by people that might use it for their own advantage? I don't think so. I think the film itself doesn't have that message. It sounds like this has very similar elements to texts like Pinocchio and various adaptations. And I guess comparisons go to something like Lolita. Now with Lolita, obviously, we're dealing with a protagonist or antagonist who is portrayed explicitly, implicitly by adaptations of the original text as a very, very bad figure. With Pinocchio, obviously, Geppetto is very benevolent, but it sounds like it's largely analogous. I don't think there are versions of Pinocchio that come out all the time. I don't think those versions or the original version, if they were to be released now, would be viewed as problematic or texts like it. I'm trying to understand what is distinct about this text where at least it appears by the reporting that there may be a perceived problem if it were to be released. There is an implied sexual relationship between the father and the android child. It's so in the discussions around this film, I've been hearing that this sort of comes up in terms of an intellectual probing into the idea of like, is the robot actually a child? I think I've read that the director said that she was inspired to feature this aspect in the film because she'd seen discussion about pedophilia in hypothetical futures being used with a robot context or a VR context and said, like, would, it, it, is this a this good thing actually, if it allows people to deal with their urges in a way that is non-harmful or is it furthering the harm? And she thought it was an, like interesting as an open question and wanted to address it in the film. 
Yes, uh, I think the film is more interested in about what is the future of human relationships going to tend to end if it is going to be so dominated by a machine presence? Mm. Uh, and uh, how can we address some of these deviant relationships? It is not explicitly dealing with pedophilia as such, as much as the fact that what is human and what is machine in a relationship context but none of that is explicitly tending towards grooming and some of the other complaints that i've heard from psychologists in that it's normalizing such relationships it's just probing the question there's no normalization happening in that extent okay so i saw a film at the intended documentary film festival screened another couple of film festivals called high ai this is a documentary about how many adults are purchasing very lifelike dolls and artificial intelligence units which can have the sort of function which you've been describing. The film touches on how there are their child-like models available, but doesn't really go into a lot of detail. It seems the narrative subject of this film go it focuses on that almost entirely. I'm wondering, is it a matter that this is something that could have been better handled by potentially documentary format or is it something that just wasn't maybe handled with the nuance it could have been or otherwise is it just a matter that it's you, a, a, you think a general audience the, the perception is a general audience even if the film was well constituted wouldn't be receptive to it chris I'll, I'll let you respond first because i know you've been itching to say something a couple of things i wanted to point out when before when we were talking about recontextualizing this whole thing could it be used in this context it's a german art film like how many people are going to be using clips of this german art film you know which is probing sci-fi questions to promote the cause of pedophilia to me that the the concept is just so absurd that but I don't the, think it's even really worth is, considering. I, I, I think we live in a time where just the prospect that this could happen is dangerous enough. And I'm not entirely See, convinced by that argument, to be honest. I don't agree with that argument too, but further to what Glenn was saying, from everything I've read, this is a minor aspect of the film. It is. It is very much okay. a, All right. The film is not centering around this premise. Yeah, it's mostly about android-human relations and yes. the sexual aspect. It is one, one form of it, one thing. manifestation of it. It's, right, it's one brief thing that of the film. takes yeah. up not much of the film at all. Yeah. And, is, uh, yeah, and is addressed, from what I've read, without having re seen it, in this German art film style. There are no explicit scenes in the film. It's like, not like romanticized sexualization. It's more just like, you know, intellectual sci-fi, right? Yeah, it's more philosophical wankery, if you want to put it in that basket. It is about, you know, what, what do these relations mean? Oh, these could take form A, B, C, D, E, F. Mm. Could be so many things. Have you considered this in the future? Have you considered this in the future? It's Look, more this kind of a film. My feeling on the whole thing is that, with, again, without having seen it, it does sound like it's button pushing. It does sound like it's provocative and it could, could oh, yeah, be disturbing. Oh, yeah, that's deliberate intention there. But... It doesn't sound to me like something that shouldn't be off the table for discussion or that it's overstepping lines as far as artistic expression. The only thing that makes me somewhat sympathetic to the decision of Miff to pull it is the point they raised in their press release, which is that the online context of this makes it hard to control whether people just under 18 could be watching it like they would with a normal Agreed. theater. Or more um, problematic that it could, it's more susceptible for clips or part or all thereof to get out there and used out of context. Well, the thing is that's going to happen, every, that's going to happen no matter what. The movie's going to come out on Blu-ray when it's done with the festival run. You know, it'll have a video release. The, the bigger thing is, I think that they just don't want the idea that MIF is showing this to children. 
But none of this sounds to me like something that shouldn't be on the table for discussion by adults. I know, but I think we're forgetting this. Uh, there is a general, I guess, you can say conservative approach given what happened with Sydney Film Festival that no other festival wants to take the risk of getting under fire given that it's already COVID. Every festival is already not operating in a normal environment. I think everyone wants to play it safe given what happened with Mukbang so that even the prospect of controversy like this is too much to handle. Yeah. So it's rather safe to be sorry than it is. No, no festival wants to be, not that this is necessarily what happened, but no festival PR department want to be known as the repping the group that promoted the film about a subject the, at least perceived to be like a robo Maybe it's great, maybe it's not. And maybe it's worth seeing, maybe it isn't. But I, 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 I find the idea that a festival, any group could not want to engage with a controversial subject by virtue of some, however minimal or large backlash, to really bad. I haven't seen Mukbang, but I think it could form part of a greater conversation. Mm. I think this sounds really interesting. I would like to see this film. If I think it's problematic, I'm willing to say so, but I'm sorry that it's not going to be out there. I diverge from Chris. I do accept to some extent the art about the discussion about the online form, particularly the film is, this is a pre-release version of it. Obviously myth and no one else wants to be responsible for clips of this circulating online. If this were a traditional festival, environment you could otherwise screen it and it'd be less susceptible to piracy maybe we would get in the traditional festival environment oh no i am actually sympathetic to that i was saying that the only thing that makes me sympathetic to the idea that the film should be pulled is like they've raised the concern of like oh what if people under 18 watch this maybe this should really be kept exclusive to adults we don't want to be facilitating the environment for that. i get it but as i i'm agreeing with your general point glenn where it's frustrating the idea that this would have been up for discussion and it's not anymore because so few voices were involved in making that decision. Like the fact that it really just came down to one person and I'm already seeing people who have vested interests in protecting children who've seen it saying that they didn't have a problem with it and the classification board didn't have a problem with it. But one person's perspective meant that Miff freaked out and the whole thing was calm. Had three of those forensic psychologists seen the film, we might have had potentially two diverging opinions, but we'll never know. And you know what? This isn't the first time this issue has come up at Myth. Last year, one of the last films I saw there was an Australian film documentary, which is now publicly available, called Machine, which was a decent documentary. It was also was about the broader matter of how we engage artificial intelligence, how the industry is growing, and it touched on this dimension. It's only one scene, and it's brief. The filmmakers did address it in the Q&A following the film, but it's an interesting and important discussion to have, and I'm sorry that discussion, at least in the, at a very open form, would be continuing at Myth this year. Right. Having seen the film, how do you feel about the idea that this film causes potential harm? It doesn't. Uh, it makes you uncomfortable and it may trigger some people. So there might be a content and a trigger warning that needs to be inserted and I can see the argument for that. But no, it shouldn't be stopped. I can definitely attest to the fact that there, if this film will make people uncomfortable, but I think that is the point. But I would reiterate that the subject and the context in which the film is being discussed online is not the entirety of the film. This is not the focus of the film itself. So uh, I think the way the film is being contextualized and discussed in circles is mischaracterizing the film. And I think that is the first thing that people should keep in mind, that this film is not about that subject. That is our myth coverage for the moment. We'll talk a little bit more about myth in coming weeks. It is going from, for a little while, online. From the 27th, actually, three weeks. Three weeks. Sorry, yeah. Three weeks three of online myth. That's uh, a, a longer myth than usual. So that's, that's right. It's, it's 18 like, days. Normally it's 18 days. Yeah, so this is. All it needs three to be. Weeks. 
Oh yeah, Myth's incredible. They've done a, a really good job getting together such a diverse lineup of films this year yeah. as well. I am not in the circumstances at all. So uh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of things happening about town, um, the Ritz are doing their Fellini retrospective, which is pretty cool. You yeah, know, playing La Dolce Vita. Yeah, um, this week it was Satyricon. I last week said I'd give it another go, and I said I didn't really like Satyricon, and Glenn enthused about it. Yeah, I, I definitely liked it more the first time I watched it. I found it just to be like way too much because of the Fellini self-indulgence and the Fellini wallowing in the grotesque combined with the, the subject matter. I, I just found it to be so repulsive the first time I watched it that it really rubbed me the wrong way right from the start. Oh, so some real, very uncomfortable aspects to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, this time around, I found it fascinating. I still had the same major complaint that because of the kind of by design aimless structure, and because the film, for the most part, strikes a very similar kind of note throughout in terms of the tone and the feeling it's trying to evoke, it starts to me to feel kind of boring and monotonous, repetitive, maybe an hour in of a two-hour film. With, with some interesting highlights, though, it's still always interesting. Visually, it's so extraordinary. It's a fascinating vision. I don't think anyone has imagined the Roman era I mean, this is a very stylized Fellini-esque. But it um, attests the decadence of it. Yeah, which it, yeah. in a way that I think hasn't been done in such an interesting way. I think usually decadence is portrayed in a much more boring standard way than we, than we see it in this film. Guys in togas just lounging around. But this is much more different. These are yeah. glamorous people who are just out and out living the most obsequious and at times just vile but still glamorous existence that's right yeah and i was really struck this time around by the, the psychedelic aspect of the film it's clearly a late 60s invention with like kind of eastern like music on the soundtrack looping and these long drawn out sequences that are almost just kind of ambient where it's just someone's dancing in the background and we zoom in and out of that and it's just soaking in the detail and the weird things popping up, people staring directly into the camera. There's so much visual invention here. It's a really unique film. So even though I still don't love it, I definitely see the virtue in it more. And I'm really glad that the retrospective has offered me this opportunity to revisit it on the big screen where it really needs to be seen for some of the incredible compositions and production design to take full impact. But something that I wanted to call out, because whenever we've mentioned this Fellini retrospective, I've said it's so frustrating because there's a brand new restoration of Knights of Kiberia and they didn't include that in their retrospective. I haven't confirmed that it's the new print, but I would think it would be because they're giving it two screenings. Usually films just get one in this rich retrospective. They're bringing in Knights of Kiberia. It's showing on Tuesday the 1st and Sunday the 6th of September. So hopefully we'll get to see the beautiful new print and the Fellini retrospective gets to continue for another week or two after it wraps on August 24th with yep. Casanova, which I've never seen. The retrospective is interesting and in being so focused towards the latter career. Yeah, I haven't seen Roma. I haven't seen Casanova. The retrospective is really skewed towards latter Fellini, which usually doesn't get much of a focus. So... Yeah, any typical leader is going to include the Dolce Vita, Ivy Deloney, Eight and a Half. And there's a great, to get me wrong, they are my favorites, but branch out. Like, let us know. No, Ivy Deloney. That's what I mean. Yeah, no, they skipped over Ivy Deloney. It's so skewed oh, right, towards okay. Lada Fellini that they skipped out on some of his earlier classics. 
which is an interesting choice, but I think probably they feel like they want to give that letter stuff a chance because people usually don't, you know, it's been written off as like minor Fellini or not very good. I think they want to draw attention to it. They just have to make space to the James Bond retrospective, playing every James Bond film immediately starting after the Fellini retrospective's done, which Fred and I have absolutely no objection to. I do, if it's after Fellini. I think it's going to take a very (laughs) different kind of mind and like a headspace to do that. That's true. I'm appreciating the Hitchcock retrospective. I'm really regretting that I didn't um, go to more of the Hitchcock retrospective films. I'm only just starting to really go to it now. And for some reason, I just kind of- They were playing blackmail. They were playing like- They played like every Hitchcock film. Almost. It's incredible. And at the time, I remember thinking like, wow, that, that's such an incredible lineup. It's amazing they're doing that. And then I just didn't go. And I've just started going again since the quarantine as we're getting to his latter Hollywood period. Look, oh, and, I, and it's just like, oh, yeah, there I are some, like Frenzy is good. So like, there's some nice stuff there. I'd love to see the 39 steps of the big screen of all yeah, these early films. So would and I. Rebecca, Why didn't I? Yeah, that's it. I was looking at it and being like, why didn't I go to Rebecca and 39 Steps? Those were the two big ones. So it's like, what was I thinking? I I think just suddenly watching them now, it's just like, oh yeah, I remember. I like Hitchcock. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, the problem with Hitchcock is he's always kind of there. And also- That's it. You take it for granted. The Vertigo window always being played. There was a double play at the Astor Theater in Melbourne. That's right. When when you see a Fellini retrospective, you're like, oh, this is different. You know, Casanova on the big screen. That's rare. Psycho. Let's go see Psycho again. Yeah. Although you're wrong. Psycho is amazing, but I've just seen it way too many times. Yeah. So no, actually, said, I don't yeah. want to see Psycho again. No, that's that's one thing. Cancel, cancel Psycho. Really? Psycho is a brilliant Psycho. film. Ben it's an outstanding Psycho. movie. Yeah, it's alright though. It's not his best. <laughs> Vertigo's his best. Well, and there's many other great, great. I, I'm a big Rebecca fan. I mentioned Blackmail earlier as underrated for his earlier stuff. Did um, you guys hear that there's a Rebecca remake coming Man out? Too much. Yes, with Army Hammer and what's the yeah. name? Yeah. Sorry. Oh my God, it's just escaped me. Um. Wait, Army uh, Hammer. Army Hammer and uh, oh my God, Lily James. I, Lily James. Favorite. What's wrong with Lily James? My, my favorite. Lily, Lily James. James. Lily James yeah. and Army oh, Hammer are doing what a. What is um, wrong with people? New Rebecca. I, I, <laughs> running yet. the line of it's. We're going back to the original novel, but I understand oh, it's going know. to actually skew quite close to the original. How could you? Uh, sorry, how could you place Laurence Olivier with Army Hammer? The original Rebecca holds <laughs> up. It's still amazing. It's one of the great Gothic novels and great Gothic adaptations. Go see it. It's only eighty years old. Why make this new one? So watched, anything that's 20 years old needs to be reintroduced to a new generation with their favorite actors. I think it just seems like such a fool's endeavor. Get away from the West Wing. Why would you decide to compare yourself to Hitchcock? You know, especially if you're Ben Wheatley. Like, he's a decent director and all, but like, but really? It just seems like a, this isn't going to end well Because he wants to be known as a person who adapted a Hitchcock movie. Oh, man. It's not an adaptation. It's an um, adaptation. It's a Mario novel. Nope. No, he's trying to adapt. As I understand it, that that's the line they're running with, but it's actually going to feature some of the differences that were in the film. But the beautiful shot of the the very final shot of the film, Olivier's character, Maximilian, justifying what he did, uh, the opening scene where they meet the the maid, the incredibly talented, over-the-top gothic maid. Like, there's so many great, really dark, sewer-costumed elements to this. Don't touch it. Yeah, so I watched Vertigo again, touching on Glenn saying it's the best. You know, in the past, I never really liked Vertigo. I admired it. I looked at it and and could say, okay, I see that this is very packed with interesting themes and symbols and ideas, but I never connected with it. I just found it kind of like coldly removed, despite me loving it. I liked Rope and North by Northwest a lot better. What about Rear Window? Yeah, that's okay too. Rear Window is 
Ruin is okay. Ruin okay, is maybe, old school maybe, favorite. Maybe, it's not as good as Vertigo. It is a masterpiece. Ruin is a masterpiece. Well, maybe we should fight about the hatred. It's about voyeurism. It's about, I mean, I know there's such a basic film school take, but it is about voyeurism and how we view film and how we is, watch others. Okay. We do not promote voyeurism. Very, very basic psychology quest, of consuming quest, cinema. Okay, question for debate. Is Vertigo not also about that? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. is. It is. All, it is. all Hitchcock um, films are about voyeurism in some way. That's the it hot is take. a recurring theme. And yeah. Vertigo. Um, Vertigo. And Psycho, obviously. Vertigo, it's been copied. Vertigo, oh, yeah. That's the thing. I was going to say Vertigo has, be, has inspired a lot of films I love, like um, La Jete uh, and 12 Monkeys, Phoenix, Twin Peaks, yep. um, a lot of stuff. Phoenix is very good. Phoenix is probably my favorite Vertigo homage, if we're going to call it that. Yeah, there have been a lot of homages. Brian De Palma has done several. But yeah, lots of films I really like have drawn from Vertigo, but I just never really connected with Vertigo itself until this current screening. I get it. Maybe it was seeing it on the big screen and the digital restoration looking so pristine. But the atmosphere of it is so hypnotic. I love that, first of all, it's a really weird story. Secondly, the unhurried pacing allows you to just be drawn into the story. It's so apart from regular convention that a hurried approach wouldn't work. And there's enough intrigue in the story that it allows Hitchcock to really take his time and build this kind of hypnotic aesthetic and atmosphere and the long shots of Scotty following Madeline around. Yeah, it really drew me in and I've been thinking about it ever since. I love the spiral recursion idea in it. The only thing that I would change about it is, is that ending. Do Vertigo spoilers? I don't think we do Vertigo spoilers. I think what I would say about the ending was any person, almost every person has a small or in some cases very severe phobia or at least something that impinges on their ability to function in normal or sometimes extraordinary circumstances and it is a very particular circumstance for the Scotty character but it's such a universally relatable thing seeing how he can address it. Let me clarify about the ending. Conceptually I love it right to the very final moments and I wonder if Hitchcock's hands were tied behind his back by the censorship conventions of the time. I really wonder if something more drastic was meant to happen in that ending. The idea of there being an accident is an interesting one, but I think some of the things that have riffed on Vertigo, like Twin Peaks and 12 Monkeys, have executed that idea better. A little convenient and disjointed. Yeah, it's disjointed in the context of Vertigo. I think the ending is what it is because I don't think it would have been possible to end the film with the hero murdering someone. And I do like the final shot. That not The final shot's brilliant. I just think the, the way that we get there doesn't quite make sense. But I don't think you could end a film in the 50s with Jimmy Stewart killing someone in the era no. where it was hard to release this film without a scene explaining that all the villains were punished. No. And also to Vertigo's credit, there's a lot of Hitchcock films, Marnie first and foremost among them, which have very lax readings of psychology. I admire Psycho a lot, but it does stop for five minutes to do a very basic Freudian explanation. With Vertigo, he elevates it to a great Vertigo, extent. Psychology makes a lot more sense and psychology, more engaging and ahead of its time. That's right. The psychology invites questions and Vertigo is open in ways that invite obsession with it. I understand why it's created so many because it asks you to consider the psychology and asks you to to consider the themes and relate it to your own life. We can absolutely discuss Hitchcock in some more detail in a subsequent week. Um, we should do a retrospective because we, we should realize that we oh I like Hitchcock a lot of no but we defer a lot of Hitchcock favorites 
before we wrap, we saw and discussed a couple of weeks ago, Baby Teeth, but Glenn wasn't able to join. And now he's seen it. Would you give us some of your thoughts? Yeah, I ended up catching it. It was the film I caught instead of going to the French Film Festival. Uh, very personal reasons I had mixed views on going to see this film, but I decided to see it in the end. I quite liked it. It's very evident, and I didn't say this in a pejorative way, that it's based on a play in that it follows similar structure, bottle characters. The blocking to that extent kind of bothered me a bit. It was very clear that a lot of scenes didn't have the coverage that was necessary and a lot of those transitions between dialogue were very abrupt. Having said that, I think the actors really pulled it off. Ben Mendelsohn, Essie Davis, Toby Wallace and Eliza Scatlin, they're great. I don't really fault many of the performances if I do have to take issue with some of the direction. My one major criticism of it is that I commented earlier about Vertigo that for Scotty's experience to be relatable, he had a very particular experience, even if not everyone in their lives has their experiences. Baby Tooth took the opposite approach where when dealing with someone who had a terminal illness, they didn't name it, but they referred to it in very broad respects. From a bit of personal experience, I think, and maybe life experience has changed this to me, but I believe that film can actually be more relatable when you make the experience particular rather than trying intendedly universal. I think if they'd be very clear on the nature of the ailment and how it has affected her, even if not everyone would be able to necessarily relate to that personally, that they would be able to, it would be able to resonate with them. It zeroes in on a particular unique to this character and which may be distinct, but still extremely relevant in many respects to many who have had identical or similar experiences. Um, another comment I'll make is that, separate to that, is that I loved the way Sydney was treated in this movie. I loved being able to see the Harbour Bridge and not the Opera House, thankfully. Where we didn't name, we're in Glebe or Rizelle or... Um, it was a nice uh, insider's view of Sydney. Yeah, I did love that the City College of Arts doubled for a private school. That was quite funny. And that we, we went into bits of Marrickville, Newtown, like faded out in the background. Sydney was well deployed in this. The one weird little, this has been adapted from a play bit for me was when suddenly at the end, a bunch of characters are all together. And I just didn't buy that some of these people would be associating with each other and all having oh, a dinner no, party. Bother me. Like, like the all, neighbor. We, the want, we, not, we want our friends together in our lives. But, but it's I, like... The pregnant neighbor, was she really a friend who would get invited to a dinner party, given some of the stuff that happened earlier? That's a very play-like device to bring everyone together, whether or not it makes sense. I believe it could happen. And I don't believe that the circumstances that would disqualify her from being there were evident to everyone. So, oh, but it's a, I, I guess so. It's I, a little contrived, but I can buy it. The performances were superb, though. How good was Toby Wallace? I've never seen that guy in anything before. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, Eliza Scandal, of course. His, his vocal tones were on point. He nailed it. I've met that guy. I totally bought that characterization. Oh, yeah. I want to follow a comment on it. And I think this is a testament to the final shot of the film. The, the focus of the film primarily isn't actually the Eliza Scanlon character. It's those around her and her parents. It's the idea that loss and grief, as much as it is about individuals, also about people who experience that and can or presumptively may be left behind. I think it's a very powerful idea that a lot of films don't cotton on to. And I think this film did. And I think that's very powerful. I think that was very well handled. So yeah, You didn't I'm, find it to be a bit of too much of a tonal shift at the end? Me and Virat both kind of had that problem. I think that is sadly reflective of a very difficult true life experience for a lot of people. And it didn't bother me. Okay. That was Baby Teeth. It's at cinemas now, as is uh, the French Film Festival and everything else streaming. Fellini retrospective continues. Hitchcock retrospective continues. Psycho is coming up on Sunday. Miff starts tomorrow. Mulan's coming in September on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. We'll, we'll, Thanks we'll for listening. On. We will. We'll cover Milan. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful time whenever you're listening. Enjoy movies and good night.